Today is the last week in John 3.16. And today is probably the most um, simple yet complicated of the four uh, that we'll have. But I'm going to tell you a story to start. How about that? I was thinking this week as I'm putting my sermon together, uh, this summer, it was, it was in August, I was out running some errands. I was at Home Depot and who knows where else, manly errands. And then I came home and I had to mow the yard. I don't like heat. But I also have this, uh, this weird thing about me that if I, I have to get everything done as quickly as possible on time. It's just one of those obnoxious personalities. So I was running my errands and the whole time I'm out, I'm getting very thirsty. You, you know when you start to get your mouth dries out and, and you just you want to drink, but I, I'm, I have issues. Don't analyze me. And I got home, and, and rather than acting like a sane person and going to get a drink, I thought, I'm just going to mow while I'm out here. So I mowed. And, and as I'm mowing, I, it went from a dry mouth to almost this aching pain through my body that I needed something to drink. But at this point, I'm not stopping. It, it's, it's an issue. Just don't, don't analyze it. Just let me tell the story. And I'm mowing, and I'm, I'm committed at this point, I'm not going to stop mowing because I want to see if I can make it. I want to see if I can go all the way without a drink of water just to say I did it. And I'm getting close, and I literally feel like I want to rip my skin off of my body. I'm so thirsty, I would, like, I would chew a cactus at this point for, for liquid. And my wife comes out of the house. I, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I wonder if she was mocking me out the window. But she comes out with a big glass of ice water. And I mowers off, I grab that water and just gloop, gloop, the whole thing. And I could have drank like five more. And I was thinking about that moment. See, I'm getting thirsty now thinking about this. That moment when I was just so stinking thirsty it hurt. And then the ice water hit my lips. And it was just, for a brief moment in time, it was the single greatest feeling I could ever remember. Merry Christmas, we'll see you all on... You ever wonder why God made us thirst? You know, when he created us, he could have said, Hey, I'm going to have this bizarre guy I'm going to make, John, and, and he's going to have issues. But he's going to try to mow and all this without drinking. Why not just skip the thirst thing? And, and then you got little people in deserts and stuff. I mean, I'm the center of the universe, but other people, like, you can dehydrate in a desert, right? You can die. Why, why did God make us need to thirst? Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to talk about why he made us need to thirst and what it has to do with Christmas as we talk about the last, the last of the four in Christmas 316. We're going to talk about eternal life. Now, over the past three Sundays, we've slowed down a bit. We looked at what it means, the verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life talked about what is perishing. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean that God so loved? Well, today we're at the end of the verse. Two words. Eternal life. I think these are easily the two most misunderstood words in the Bible. Not just in the church, but outside of the church. And I'll unpack that for you today. And, and my goal is that when we leave here today, none of us will have confusion over what eternal life is. None of us will fully grasp it, but none of us will have confusion. All right, I got two questions for you. Ready? We go to church. Y'all been here multiple times. What's the gospel? That's, a, that's the basic question number two when you try to get into heaven. 
Tell me, child, what is the gospel? Um, 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 oh, hurry, you have 30 seconds. What is the gospel? How would you articulate in less than 90 seconds? The life that Jesus lived on earth, both verbally and written down. Okay. New Testament? Truth about Jesus? Seems like it should be really easy, doesn't it? What's the gospel? Remember, we're slowing down. It's not that easy of a question, is it? What is eternal life? This is a difficult thing for me here because if somebody puts out a perfect answer, I'm up to creek. Like, if one of you just pulling Bible verses left and right and you get on a roll, I'm done, so we'll switch seats. But what's eternal life? Like, the gospel is the good news. It's New Testament. It's the life of Jesus. It's, it's the truth and eternal life. What's eternal life? All right, let's switch, Kirsten. You're, you're obviously... <laughs> Darn it, man! I think most people can articulate parts of what the gospel is, but they don't know the gospel. I think people can articulate parts of what eternal life is, but they don't know what eternal life really is. John 17, verse 3. Remember this verse. Kirsten obviously knows this verse. Someone, uh, Jesus decided, someone, to tell us what eternal life is. says, and this is eternal life. Oh, wait, wait, let's check it out. What is it? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what's eternal life? Knowing God. Wait a minute, I thought it was living forever. Um, no, it includes that, but that's not it. I thought the gospel was the good news about Jesus. Well, it is the good news about Jesus. Well, the gospel is that Jesus was born, and, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross to forgive our sin. He did. And he rose from the dead three days later, and we can be forgiven and right before God. We can, but that's not the whole gospel. Because you've got to put the big so what on the back of that. So what that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and whoever believes in him doesn't perish, but will have eternal life. So what? What does that mean? What did he die for? What is eternal life? It's so that we can know God. Not know about God, but intimately know God. Forever and ever in perfection. Let's unpack that today. Because what I think you will find is the more fully you know what eternal life is, the more joyfully you will live from now forevermore, the more powerfully you will be able through the grace, love, mercy, and power of God to proclaim the good news, and the more amazed people will be. It doesn't take a miracle to walk up to someone and say, hey, do you want to go to hell? And they say, no, praise God! Their eyes have been opened to the truth. They don't want to go to hell. Right? You understand, anyone will not want to go to hell. Do you want to have your sins forgiven? Yeah. Very few people enjoy, oh, what a great day. Just the burden of guilt I feel this morning. It's awesome. These don't take miracles. But to say to someone, do you want to live in an eternal relationship with God, worshiping Him, glorifying Him from today for the rest of eternity. You'll get a lot of uh-uh. But very rarely will you see a yeah, because you know what that yeah takes? That takes a miracle. We're going to talk about that today.
Eternal life. It's a relationship. Now, how many people initially articulate eternal life as a relationship? Or the gospel is good news because it opens the way for us to have a relationship with God. You see, it's great that we're forgiven for our sins. It's great that we get to live forever. It's great that we get to go to heaven. I mean, I, I can tell you a million and three things I'm excited to do in heaven, but if I'm not careful, number one on that list is not to worship God. Isaiah 6, you know that passage? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What have I told you? When you go to heaven, you are going to have to spend more than an hour a week worshiping God. You're like, dang! What have I told you? They got church all the time. It ain't even voluntary. What have I told you? Everybody goes to church in heaven all the time. And they just sing praises and worship to God. And you're like, it's going to be like holy, holy, holy forever and ever. It is. But watch this. You're not going to want to do anything else. You'll get to do plenty of other stuff. Heaven is not sit down and go holy, holy. It's not. I promise you. Because I'm looking at your eyes and people are like, oh, how bad is hell? <laughs> but when you get to heaven, you will have the eyes that those seraphim had. The sin is gone. And when you see God, all you are going to want to do is just say, holy, holy moly. Because you will see him day by day, more by more, more perfectly for who he is. It's a relationship. See, I was, I'm, I've gone off script, so bear with me if this goes bad. Somebody just wave your hand and say, back up. When Laura and I first met in college, a long, long time ago, I was infatuated. I still am. But, I mean, all I wanted to do was be around Laura. I, you asked about our, our early dating. I, I was crazy. I would carry these gallon, multiple, many, wow, they were a lot of them, gallon jugs of water to the Wegmans in Geneva, New York, so she could fill them up in their silly little dang purifier, and I carry them back to her room. I mean, in the heat of the day, the multiple gallon jugs of water, and I was so excited because I could walk with her to Wegmans and back. Now I'd send her to the tap. But that was back in the day. <laughs> I just wanted to be around her. I was crazy. Well, well, so much more so a relationship with God. It's a joy. To go anywhere with him. You don't think about the incidentals on the side. And in heaven, the incidentals are all perfect. But a relationship with God, little by little, we become more infatuated, in the most positive sense of the word, with being and dwelling in the presence of God. That's the beginning of eternal life. It's a relationship with God. It's a supernatural relationship. Most sane people don't want to carry lots of gallons of water for somebody else through the heat down busy roads. But a person whose mind has been tweaked by love will do a lot of crazy things. Well, a person whose mind has been supernaturally tweaked by divine love to see the reality of who God is for who He is, it's not a burden to worship God. It's an incredible joy. It's a relationship. Eternal life is a relationship. It is a supernatural relationship because you won't desire it on your own. A sane person would say, John, seriously, she can drink tap water. But see, she wanted bottled water and I wanted to please her. This is me and another person. Now I'm talking about God. God says, hey, you want to walk with me to Wegmans? Are you see God? Yeah. And my friend's like, what the heck is wrong with you? He's not even real. Oh, he's real. I'm looking at him. I can't see. Your eyes have to be open to see him. And as you know him little by little in your eyes, he loves you so much 
that he invited you into a relationship not just to know about him, but to intimately know all about him. Little by little, that goes from a, oh, to a holy, holy, holy. There's a progression here. That's why today you're not all dying to hang out with the seraphim in heaven. There's a progression. But if your eyes have been opened to the truth, there is a part of you that finds an incredible, wonderful joy in the fact that you know God and you get to glorify Him and worship Him and live for Him. Bear with me. It's a relationship that you have now. A lot of people think eternal life starts right after you die. Like we're preparing for eternal life. It starts right when you come to faith. The moment you are born anew, born again, Shazam! Everyone, all four in a row, I got the Shazam in. You have eternal life. You have a relationship with God now. Who here is prepared to say that this relationship I have with God is the single most prized possession in my life, and if I lost everything else, I would be completely and infinitely joyful because I don't need anything else except my relationship with Jesus. Put your hand up. Don't lie. You know where liars go? (laughs) We can't say that right Forgiven liars go to heaven, don't worry. (laughs) We don't say that right now because we still live in the midst of sin. We've been free from the captivity of sin, but we still live in the midst of it. Dirty little secret that people don't like to share. Apart from the work of Christ, we all only want to glorify ourselves. We all are little gods, or goddesses who have things we want to do, we want to do on our time, in our way, beyond our expectations, and we want people to come up and worship us. Now, it looks really awkward if people fall down and bow before us. Ah! But we want something that looks more appropriate, but we want that, you're so cool, you're so great, I want to be around you, oh my God! And we're like, yes, now you know, you may come forward. There's this sickness called sin where we want to sit in God's throne. And we don't realize our little feet are dangling and daddy's saying, get out of the way because when I come back, you're going to get squashed. But we want to sit there. We want to be glorified. We want to be praised. Then we come to faith and there's no problem with that, right? None of us. None of us have any self-focus left in our life. None of us have things that we want and we want now and if we don't get them, we get mad, right? In my house, a little tiny midget guy in the morning comes down for his milk in this starts getting mad if you don't serve it up quick and he will yell at you Ah! he wants you know why because he's the center of his universe it's called the effective there is an effective sin at small child in my house at least it's universal as we mature little by little we come to see oh we're not the center of the universe and as christians whose eyes have been open to the truth we realize you know we dwell so far on the periphery it ain't even funny god is the center of the universe and we were created to glorify him, not he to glorify us. But the struggle is, we still want to sit in the center. We still want to be glorified. We still want what we want when we want it. Very few people will say, you know, you know, I was thinking, that sounds really appealing to not consider myself the center of the universe, to not try to accomplish what I want on my terms and receive fame and fortune and just accept utter and complete anonymity. That's okay. That's what God wants. I'm fine with that. I'll die early, poor, and in the streets if it brings joy to God. Nobody's really after that, are they? But what if, what if we realized that we were made to glorify God? That, that what we pursue, I'm reading Ecclesiastes now. A guy who had it all, 
said it all, ain't as grand as you think it would be. A guy who made Bill Gates look like lower middle class said, the money don't do it. A guy who had more houses than uh, anybody I've ever heard of said, the houses don't make you joyful. You see, there's a lot of stuff that we try to use to meet a need that can only be met with a being. We were created to glorify God, yet the struggle is we want God and others to glorify us, and there's where we feel tension through life. Eternal life is about realizing through a relationship with God that we were made to glorify Him. So why don't we experience that now? The reality is we don't fully believe it. I believe, help me with my unbelief, says a man with a demon-possessed boy to Jesus. Well, we better be saying it too. God, I believe, I know, remember we talked about biblical belief, it's a certainty. I know that you are who you say you are. I know who I am. I understand what Jesus did. I, I love you. I love Jesus, and I thank you for opening my eyes. But I still got issues. Because I know that you know what's best, but I don't know if I really can fully walk in that. Because what if you're wrong? Help me with my unbelief. Here's where faith and hope come into play. If God says jump off a cliff, do you believe that that's what's best for you? Or do you think, well, God, that ain't going to go so well. It's going to hurt. What if God's going, yeah, but what about when I told that guy to sacrifice his son? What was his name? Something like Abraham. And what if Abraham said, this is going to go really bad. We're not going up the mountain. Not going to do it. What would he have missed? What if I said jump off the cliff? And you didn't jump, but yet my hand was down there and picked you up. And as you hovered through the air, you had a confidence you never had. Now, don't jump off a cliff, okay? I said, if God tells you. We need to walk in obedience little by little so that we can develop the relationship to see that God does love us and will care for us perfectly. Because, folks, this is eternal life, and this is what makes it so great. I walked a lot of miles carrying water bottles. I wouldn't change it for the world. But if I didn't walk those miles carrying the water bottles, I wouldn't have known who I was carrying them for. And if I didn't get to know who I was carrying them for, I wouldn't have developed a relationship with that person. Well, so often God invites us to carry the water bottles, and we say, oh, but I'm busy. And we wonder why God feels distant. Sometimes God calls us to go and do something, and we say, oh, that won't work out well. And we wonder why God feels distant. It takes a lot of effort to develop a relationship with God. Sometimes we think, wouldn't it just be nice if God said, boom! You have eternal life, and now you see me clearly. Well, it wouldn't. And why do I say it wouldn't? Because it's not what God does. As Christians, we live in an eternal, inseparable relationship with God. We don't have to go through life carrying stuff for God to show Him how much we love Him. We don't have to prove anything to God. He loves us. He's got us. But because He's opened our eyes to the truth, and because we love Him, we obey Him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. It doesn't mean you sit there and go, if I feel like doing it, I'll do it. No, you'll do it. Because you love Him, and because He wants you to get to know Him better. Carry the water bottles God calls you to. Walk in obedience. Be amazed. But you've got to cultivate the relationship, because it started right now. It's a relationship that you have now that only gets better. Philippians 1.21, you know what that is? Paul's talking about living and dying. He says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What, is, what the heck is that about? Ain't living better than dying? Anybody here saying, I can't wait to die. I am so fired up to die. How long do I have to wait? Oh, come on and let me die, God. Anybody? You know there's a part of us that should be saying that? You know, a funeral for a Christian is supposed to be a birthday party. 
You ever think about that? You miss people when they die, but, it, but are they going to be with Jesus face to face? They should be weeping for you. You see, Paul knew that to live now was gain. He was in a relationship with God, a personal, intimate, knowing relationship. But to die was gain because the sin is removed and he sees God clearly for who he is for the first time ever. And Paul's life was focused on the relationship he had with God through his grace, which began on the road to Damascus. He said, God, I know you, but I want to know you better. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'm living for you now, and forever I will live with you with sin removed in perfection, and it will only get better. Think about that. It will only, God will never disappoint you. Now, over the, the years of courtship that I had with Laura, there were disappointments along the way. You know? That, you remember those, those first arguments you had when, when you were dating someone seriously? It's like, oh my gosh, we fought! It's like, we don't do that in heaven. Well, darn it, Jesus, it's holy, holy stuff. It's enough. I'm having a bad day. Give me a break. It doesn't have, God doesn't get up one day, you know, three, three trillion years down the road in eternity. Oh, this is awful. Shush my ears. No. There's no letdown. It only gets better and better. And we have been invited to it. Now we see dimly in a mirror. Remember that 1 Corinthians 13 verse? But then we'll see perfectly, clearly, face to face. Paul understood that it's a relationship that you have now that only gets better and lasts forever. One more question here, and then I'll tie you up with mowing in the heat. Why did God make eternity? So, first he made us to, to thirst. Stinking thirst. I could have gotten that mowing done faster if we didn't need to drink. But he made us to thirst. And then he made, you understand, God made eternity, right? It wasn't some catch, like, oh, darn it. On day six, it's not recorded in the Bible, but God's like, shoot, this has got to go on forever. I was going to have an end date, but it's got to be eternal. Oh my gosh, what do we do? He intentionally made eternity. And he intentionally made us for eternity. Why? And it takes eternity to fully develop that relationship. Kirsty, come on now, but you just finished. God made us for eternity. He made eternity. He's eternal. And he made us for eternity. A lot of people say, like my eldest, eternal life means living forever. It does. It means truly living forever. But you know, everyone is eternal. You're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell forever. It's not like God said, if you go to heaven, you live forever. If you go to hell, you're just done. Poof, poof. No, it's forever. This week, uh, who is this? This uh, atheist Hitchens, was it? The, the guy who died? To me, that was the saddest news I've heard in a long time. A guy who, who adamantly and vociferously denied the reality of God. Just spouting off foolish things, writing books, pro proclaiming God is a myth. Well, I guarantee he's no atheist anymore. I guarantee he's not going to argue about eternal life anymore. But oh, how miserable he... You can't fathom how horrendously miserable his existence is from now for eternity. I mean, that should just give you the shivers. We got the exact opposite. God made us for eternity because it takes eternity to come to know him. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. 
it says, I'll start in, well, I'll start at 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. You ready? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It will take us all of eternity to know who God is. Stop and think about that. Well, God's sovereign and omnipotent, and we got this free will, predestination thing we got to figure out. No, hold up. It will take forever to fully know who God is. And He loves us so much that He wants us to be given the gift of forever to get to know Him for who He truly is. Day one, you may carry water bottles for Jesus to Wegmans in heaven. You won't really. It's a figure of speech thingamajig, but walk with me here. And you'll get to know Him a little better. Day two, He may take you to the bakery. And you'll get to know Him a little better because you'll know more about Him. And for all of eternity, little by little, moment by moment, you will be floored by what you see of God for who He really is. And the only reason you get to do this is because He loved you so much that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him ain't going with Hitchens, but is with God from this moment they come to faith forevermore. It lasts forever. It only gets better. In perfection. Stop and think about that. Kind of changes what uh, Christmas is all about, doesn't it? Two, three years ago, I remember a midweek thought I wrote about the pigeon and the metal ball. Anybody remember this? Imagine a metal ball hovering in space the size of Earth. And a pigeon shows up every day, say for a minute, a, re you know, a regular pigeon, Central Park style. And for one minute every day, he pecks on that metal ball. One minute, flies away to wherever the heck pigeons go in my midweek thoughts. And he comes back each day and does this. How long would it take him to wear down that metal ball solid through the size of Earth? Can you even comprehend that? There's a second in eternity. You can't comprehend how long eternity is. God gave us forever so that we could know Him fully. And the more fully we come to know Him, the more floored we will be by who He is. And it starts right now. You don't have to wait till you meet Jesus face to face to live in a relationship with Him. It starts right now. Right this very moment as a Christian, you live in a relationship with Him. You say, but I can't see Him, but He can see you. He's as real as day. We got faith and hope. Everything doesn't have to be seen to be real. There's air, right? Anybody feel the air? It starts right now. Let's go back to the beginning. A crazy guy mowing... <laughs> Barely, you know, your tongue is like stuck. You have to pry it off. It's horrible. The water comes out. Why did God make us to thirst? Why does God make us get hungry? I am starving. Whoever brought that food downstairs, thank you. I am starving through this whole sermon. Why does God make us hunger and just want to eat or thirst and just need to drink? Is he cruel? Ha ha, you will be hungry and thirsty till you die. No. I think there's a verse that talks about this, as a matter of fact, in, in John. In John 6. John 6.35. Let's see if I'm close. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When you're thirsty, you need water, and you're satisfied. God gave us that as a gift. Because I got a glimpse of what ice water tastes like to a very, very thirsty person. And the more fully I drink of the living water, the more fully I taste and see that the Lord is good as I eat of the living bread. My temporary hunger and thirst won't be satisfied, but my every desire will be met. You understand that? Do you understand how incredible that is? Jesus isn't saying, if you're a Christian, you can mow the yard and never need water again. And that's not what I was testing out. My theology isn't that bad. He's saying that if you walk in relationship with me fully and truly and perfectly, you will have no need unmet. You will have no, you will have no sadness or hopelessness as the world has sadness and hopelessness. You won't need other people to glorify you to find meaning. You won't be aimless and hopeless and wandering and wandering. You will have certainty and contentment. And I think this thing he called abundant life, and it starts right now. It lasts forever, and it only gets better. So folks, when you go out and you share the gospel, this is not how you do it. God loves you so much that um, you don't have to go to hell. And I'm going to take a miracle, and you ain't finished the story. It's true but finish the story. Don't you feel a horrible burden of sin weighing you down? You don't have to. That's great. Part of the story. It's not the whole story. The story goes more like this. For God so loved the world, everybody, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, and here's what it is, folks, not going to perish. You got an eternal relationship with God himself that starts now, lasts forever, only gets better, and will floor you day after day. You want it? Now you'll either get a, you are out of your stinking mind. Uh-huh, I am, from your perspective. Or you'll get a, I didn't realize I could have a relationship with God. But I think what happens is we either like to beat people... I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about Christians in general. We like to beat people up for their sin. Oh, you dirty, rotten, miserable, good-for-nothing fool. You are so going to hell unless you believe what I tell you. Well, very few people find that appealing. Oh my gosh, really? Oh my gosh, I'm living in sin and I have to turn... Stop. That's, that's going to happen. But you got to see what's so wonderful before you turn away from what's so nasty, don't you? Don't you? What makes Jesus look so pretty is when you put him next side of the gunk we live in. But if you just put gunk, if you put anger next to gunk, it don't look so bad in the gunk. That's why most people are, uh, who is it, the Dalai Lama I was talking about at Real Conversations, he said something along the lines of, I love your Jesus, I just don't love you Christians. Let's not ever let that be the case for us, folks. We go out, we let God shine His light through us, and His light is His love for the world. He sees us in the muck. Can't hide in it. But He loves us so much that He came down to dwell in the muck as one of us. He lived it perfectly, and He said, follow me, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. Just as the Father loves me and I love the Father, there's a relationship. He's in. You ever think about the relationship between the Father and the Son? The Holy Spirit. A perfect, sinless, unfathomable relationship. That's what we're invited to be partakers of and to live in. 
God who made all, boom, chose us to live an eternal relationship with Him, to glorify Him. And let me finish with this. Here's the hard part. Yeah, but this holy, holy, holy stuff, like what's wrong with God? He got an ego issue. Does he need people to come up to heaven and do holy, holy, holy? So he's like, ah, yeah, I'm good. Is God trying to populate heaven so he can have a good day and a better day and a better... No. He doesn't need any of us to glorify him to make himself perfectly content. But he loves us so much that he's opened our eyes to see the reality of who we are and what we were made for so that we can understand what eternal life is all about, why it's so wonderful, and what we were made Four, drinking that water on that hot day pales in comparison to living in a relationship with Jesus. A starving person having a bite of food to last another day pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Having people praise you. You ever, you ever see, um, I was watching a show yesterday. It was like the life of Tim Tebow from college to, uh, you know I'm good when I can throw in a football illustration to shut her down here, right? It was a life of Tim Tebow from college to the pros. And there were all these scenes where he would go places and the crowds, did you watch this? These crowds were just like, at the beginning there was a scene, it was the end of a football game, and they're like, Oh, And these were the men, the ladies were... And you think, oh my gosh, what would it be like to walk in those... Could you imagine if thousands of people paid money to see you and wanted to be around you, just, just wanted to worship you? And we're like, oh my gosh, I'd feel awesome. No, you wouldn't. Because it's the inverse is what we were made for. We were made to worship God. We're going to get to say, oh my gosh, I touched Jesus! Forever and ever. But we're going to be able to say that because he reached out and took a hold of us. So Christmas, coming up. Trees, lights, gifts, food. Nothing wrong with this stuff, folks. Enjoy it. But just as thirst points to eternal life. The gifts point to eternal life. The tree points to eternal life. The food. When you look at your Christmas table, I want you to think about the bread of life. When you look at your tree, I want you to think about the tree Jesus hung on. When you look at the gifts, I want you to think of eternal life. And that's how we cultivate a relationship with that little baby who grew up into a man who now sits at the right hand of God. And as we cultivate that relationship, folks, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to go out and tell people about Jesus. It wasn't awkward when I told people I'm, I got married to Laura. When we got engaged, it was like, oh my gosh, how do I tell me? You just tell them we're getting married. Well, when you love Jesus and you walk in depth of that relationship, you can't help but go out and just say through word and deed, I love Jesus and he loves you too. How that comes out looks different. But that's what we celebrate on Christmas morning. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that um, something that came through my mouth today would have will be used by you to help us understand more fully what eternal life is, why the gospel is really good news, and that you would continue to open our eyes more fully and clearly to understand the gift we have received. It is not a burden to obey your laws. It is a gift that we have to live in relationship with you. We're not forgiven because we obey. Rather, we obey because we are forgiven. We don't have to prove our love to you. We don't have to impress you. But God, we do get to glorify you. I pray you would help us see these Sunday, Sunday mornings as, as such an awesome stinking gift that you have welcomed us to come and worship you and you receive our praises. 
I pray we would see every day you entrust to us as the gift it is, a, a time of preparation and refinement for us, a time of work that you do through us, and another day in the eternal progression of relationship that we have with you where we come to see you more fully, know you more intimately, and be floored more and more by who you are. Lord, I thank you so much for the gift you gave us on Christmas morning. For the little baby who was both fully man and fully God, who grew up and died on a cross in our place, and the gift of eternal life, God, that is an unfathomable, immeasurable gift. But yet we get to enjoy it, and we get to dispense it through your strength and power for your glory. I pray starting this Christmas and for every Christmas forevermore, we would see it more clearly. And you would use us more powerfully as we go out into a lost world to shine your light through us. So we could tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. That for you God loved the world so much that you gave your only Son. That whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.